The Land Bolton Podcast is sponsored by Murrah Ranch Group, serving buyers and sellers of legacy ranches and sporting properties with conservation values since 2005. Welcome back to our Land Bulletin series. I'm Haley Murr, and I'm the Director of Strategic Partnerships and Development here at Murr Ranch Group. Every other week, we discuss the ranch and sporting property market, buying and selling advice, the latest best stewardship practices, as well as topics currently impacting landowners. Murr Ranch Group is a full-service ranch real estate brokerage and consulting company focusing on legacy ranches and sporting and conservation properties around the West. From sit-down dinners with friends and loved ones to holiday get-togethers with coworkers and peers, we here at the podcast have been continually surrounded with great libations and meals this holiday season. Since we have food on, on the mind, we thought it would be great to have a few of our resident hunters and fishermen here at Mer Ranch Group join us and let us know some of their favorite ways to prepare their game. Helping me out today are Mer Ranch Group brokers Daniel Carter, Woody Beardsley, Eric Anderson, Jared Souza, Willie Straza, and Harry Woodward. We'll see how their seasons went and what they found themselves eating this holiday season. Let's see what they're eating. First, I would like to bring on Daniel Carter, who, along with fellow broker Jeff Hubbard, just came back from a trip to Kansas, where the two were able to bag a few quails. Here's Daniel with his favorite upland bird recipe. Thanks, Haley. I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, and uh, that goes for all the listeners out there, too. My bird hunting season's been pretty good so far. Uh, My dogs got to hunt some earlier this year up in Montana, where I'm from, which was great because I haven't been able to get up there the last couple seasons, and uh, it really is my favorite place to hunt. I grew up hunting sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge and wild pheasants up there, and for me, there really isn't anything quite like it. As you mentioned, Jeff and I, just returned last week from a few days out in Kansas, which was really fun. Uh, I'd say the quail numbers out there this year are about average or maybe a little above average. For us, it's, it's really more about chasing bird dogs and giving them opportunities to point wild birds, but uh, killing a few birds along the way and, and having a few to prepare that night for dinner is definitely a, a good bonus. Um, So the recipe I'm going to share can be uh, used really on any upland game bird. My favorite with this method is probably quail. It's really pretty basic. I like to fillet the birds into strips, soak them in buttermilk before cooking them. For a a darker bird meat like uh, like sharp tail, it can be helpful to soak the birds overnight and pull some of the that'll pull some of the blood and the gamey flavor out of the out of the meat before cooking them. But once you're ready to cook them, you get a pan going on high heat on the stove. Um, It's important to have the pan hot and have some olive oil in the pan, Um, a good amount of olive oil. As the pan's heating up, grab a bowl and you put some flour in it, mix in some spices that you like. Uh, I usually add a hefty amount of salt and pepper, usually some of that poultry seasoning mix if you like. A little bit of heat, you can add some red pepper flakes or chili pepper flakes, uh, add some spice to it. But uh, then you take the strips out of the buttermilk, dip them lightly in that flour and spice mix, and then flash fry them in the pan. 
Um, it only takes about 20 or 30 seconds aside each side of the filet and just kind of flip them over in that hot oil and that should be fine. Really the worst thing you can do is, is overcook wild game. But uh, once they're finished, they are ready to eat right away and it can be good to use some dipping sauce, maybe a mustard or you know a barbecue sauce or whatever you like. So yeah, anyway, that's my go-to method for cooking wild birds. Thanks all and, and have a happy new year. Thanks Daniel for that. I'm glad you were able to get some time with Jeff and the Pointing Sisters up in Kansas. Next up, let's hear about Woody Beardsley's favorite duck recipe. Take it away, Woody. I'm gonna talk about my favorite uh, duck recipe. Um, I have a good fortune of getting to go on an annual duck hunt with the Shoeline family on the Front Range Land and Livestock property north of Platteville on the Platte, South Platte, north of Denver. Terrific property with a, a remarkable, it's an old oxbow of the river with uh, some warm water springs that feed it, so c c essentially creating a warm water slough. And the ducks are just heavy in there. Every year, early season, late season, we have uh, excellent, excellent shooting. Um, that annual hunt is coming up in two weeks. I'm looking forward to it. But of late, of the last uh, five or six years, one of the ways we've really uh, enjoyed preparing ducks is uh, pressed duck. And pressed duck is a lot more work. There's a lot of ways of preparing duck. Duck poppers, breasted duck, all kinds of ways. But uh, pressed duck is a lot more work, but it is uh, worth it. It's a, a really delicious uh, and a wonderful way to serve duck. In terms of preparation, you, have to, you can't breast the ducks. You have to pluck them whole and clean them and pluck them whole. And they're important that uh, when you go to cook them, that they're dry. So after you've cleaned them, you really need to dry them off. And I think with pressed duck, it's best to serve fresh duck and not necessarily frozen, although certainly you could defrost a, a frozen carcass. You also need some special equipment in the kitchen. Not every kitchen's got a duck press. A duck press is essentially a heavy metal canister or barrel, if you will, with a heavy screw that you put a, uh, a, a remainder carcass or a partially cooked carcass of a duck, and I'll get back to the cook time in a minute, but you take the uh, remainder carcass, you've, you've cut the breasts off, and you um, take that carcass and you put it in the canister and you press it down and you press it down hard. And essentially you're rendering out all the remaining juice of the, from the bones and flesh and the other elements of that duck that uh, you've, you've prepared and cooked, partially cooked. And so that, those drippings, those pressings, if you will, become part of the roux or gravy of the, of the preparation for the rest of the duck. Prior to putting the duck in the press, you've got to put it in the oven. Put it in the oven at about 385 uh, for no more than 17 minutes. Uh, in doing that, you'll have prepared it. It'll be fairly rare still. And you take it out, you let it cool for a couple minutes, and then taking whatever knife you like to work with, you remove the breast meat from the rest of the carcass. And you take those breasts and you put them out aside on a plate, uh, often put them skin side down, um, you will prepare those in uh, butter or olive oil and wine and uh, other, you know, salt, pepper, garlic, the other seasonings you like to cook with, and you will finish cooking them. You'll probably cook the skin side down for maybe a minute and a half or two minutes, and the non-skin side, the exposed side that you breasted them from, you'll cook those in a separate pan, but for maybe 30 seconds, no more than a minute, you still want the meat to be uh, fairly... Uh, you don't want to get past rare, medium rare when you're cooking duck, and I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, after you've separated the breasts, 
you take the carcass and you put it into the press, you press it down and you collect the, the drippings or the roux, uh, the, the pressings. And after you finished cooking in a, a saute pan, sauteing the breasts, you then deglaze the pan with a little red wine and these drippings and you make a roux and you can add a little um, chutney or you can add a little uh, pepper jam or you can just have it stay fairly uh, um, savory in the sense of uh, um, salt and pepper garlic. But that roux becomes part of what you serve it with. And um, so a couple things. I like to serve it uh, with wild rice and then a, 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 a blanched vegetable, uh, broccolini, green beans, asparagus, whatever else you like to go with. Serves great with a, a great red wine. But you've finished the breasts in a separate pan. You make sure that they're still fairly on the rare to medium rare side. I think one of the challenges with any wild game is I think you can really overcook wild game. So I'm really pretty judicious about making sure that it stays fairly on the medium rare side as I think people enjoy eating it better that way. Um, I hope this all makes sense. Uh, it's a lot of work, but boy, is it a delicious way to, to serve. And, and even people who are not big wild game fans tend to really enjoy the pressed duck preparation. Bon appetit. Never knew how to prep duck until now. Thanks, Woody. Next, we will hear from our big game specialists, Eric Anderson and Jared Souza, to see how they prep their game. First, we'll hear from Eric. I had a season of uh, emotional highs and lows chasing big game in Colorado, Wyoming. Uh, first up was my Wyoming elk hunt. And I've been hunting with the same group of guys now for several years in the Bighorn Mountains. This year, we had more variable weather before the hunt, which is usually a hopeful sign that elk will move down an elevation from other hunt units into the one that we usually hunt. We saw a lot of young bulls, but nothing mature enough for us to really take. So as, as always, our group likes to grind every day and we probably put in 50 miles or so on foot and we just enjoy the process just as much as the take. So overall, it was a good seven days on the mountain. For my Colorado deer hunt, it's kind of the complete opposite. It's an, ar it's an archery hunt this year and I had a full three days set up to to hunt, and I didn't even make it into the first tree stand. It, was, it wasn't supposed to happen the way it did, but I ended up shooting a mature whitetail buck from my knees at six yards. Couldn't believe that happened. And it's just a reminder this year that, you know, anything can happen at any time and to be ready all the time. And that seems to be the motto I try to live by when out in the, out in the outdoors, so... Anyway, so for today, I want to talk about preparation of whitetail deer. Uh, with elk, I use a gutless quarter method in the field, which is clean and keeps the meat away from bacteria and dirt while also providing appropriate sections to hike out with to the nearest road. But for whitetail deer, I usually field dress it and hang it in a barn for a night or two before sectioning the animal for processing. I take pride in cleaning the back straps and tenderloins myself while using a wild game processor for other steaks, burgers, and sausage. And uh, for today's discussion, I'm focusing on the back straps. So I wash the back straps with cold water, let it hang on a wire rack above a baking sheet for about an hour or two. This lets the meat drain of blood and dry out before the next step, which is using a sharp knife to remove all of the silver skin and really anything I don't want to eat. During the process, I think of folks who have said they don't like game, I always want to prepare and cook uh, 
with the mindset, these are the folks who I want to say, wow, this is really good. I can't believe it's elk or I can't believe it's deer. So as I really clean that backstrap, I want to really make sure it's clean of anything that I don't want to eat. I then cut each backstrap into thirds. Um, and this is typically for deer. For elk, I'd usually probably um, cut it into fours. And it usually depends on the size of the buck. But thirds is usually the, a great amount for four adults. So I wash and hang the meat again for a few hours before bagging each one-third of a backstrap into a freezer bag and labeling each bag with a date, location, and a type of cut. And then I'll usually eat one of these fresh and freeze the rest. The cook. I'm kind of simple and old school, but make sure you've got great ventilation for this cook. I've made the mistake with a whole lot of uh, smoke alarms uh, in my house well, it usually happens every single time, actually. Um, so you just allow the venison to warm up to room temperature. And then season the venison heavily with either fresh ground salt and pepper or a barbecue blend, which has salt and pepper in it. Pepper is the, is the most important um, seasoning for the cook. Some of the blends with sugar can create great flavor and bark. Allows that outside to be seared pretty easily. So melt, the, melt some butter in a hot saucepan big enough for that one-third of a backstrap that can lay flat. And then place the medicine into a, that hot saucepan, searing one side. And using tongs to sear each side of the venison until a dark mahogany or even black in color. And once seared on all four sides, place that pan in an oven at 350 degrees. Now, timing is dependent on the size of the cut and how long the sear was. So it's less about the timing than it is about the temperature. So make sure you're checking that venison every few minutes using an instant read thermometer probe until it reads about 128 degrees and remove the pan from the oven. The worst thing you can do, and, um, and others have said this on this uh, podcast, is overcook game. So you're gonna to wanna to remove that venison from the pan so it stops to cook and place it on a wood cooking board and let it rest for about 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, cut it into half an inch to three quarters of an inch strips and then serve it with your favorite sides and enjoy. And now it's Jared's turn, who I get to work with a bunch in Wyoming to see what he has up his sleeve for some wild game. Happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, thanks, Eric. You know, we just finished a bunch of big game hunting up in Wyoming ourselves. You know, I, I run an outfitting business and do a lot of guiding throughout the fall. And then I always try to save some time for uh, the wife and I to, to go out and chase something before the season's over. And usually we get a couple cow elk tags and go out late season, find a day in the middle of the week when the kids are at school and we go and stomp around the woods together and uh, just kind of make a date day out of it. But, uh, you know, one of the main reasons we try to get a cow elk every year is for one, you know, they, uh, the cow elk numbers are, are super high in my neck of the woods. So, uh, kind of trying to do our part for, uh, conservation, but, uh, also I just love, uh, love eating cow elk. We raise pigs and we have, uh, some fat steers. So we got, we got plenty of meat in the freezer, but, uh, we like to kind of switch it up throughout the, especially in the summer when we're grilling a lot, we love to have some, uh, you know, grilled elk steaks uh, on a Friday night or 
whatever. But one of my most favorite things to do with any of that big game that I that we're able to harvest is uh, I love making sausages and salami and snack sticks and and jerky. Uh, you know, I, I love spending a a winter day when the weather's too bad to do anything else, and we'll spend the time in the in the house as a family, and we'll we'll mix up a big batch of jerky and throw it on the smoker for the the entire weekend and then uh and see how she turned out you know kind of i don't really have any uh set recipe that uh where we stay year in year out i'm kind of always kind of experimenting and trying to make it better each and every year sometimes uh it ain't worth a darn and sometimes uh it don't last very long but i, I really like just kind of messing around with with that sausage and uh and seeing how it turns out one of the biggest things with, you know, big game or wild game, just taking care of it is, you know, one is you got to keep it clean. You know, you're out in the field around dirt and grass and leaves and, and the heat and everything else. You know, it's real important that you uh, you get that, that animal out of the field and you try to keep it as clean as possible. You know, we use a lot of uh, meat bags and uh, quarter bags or whatever just to keep all the dirt off it. And then, you know, get it somewhere where you can get it hung and get it get it chilled out the the faster you can get it chilled out the better it's going to taste and then uh you know after we get it hung and if it's safe um and we don't have to worry about it spoiling because of the heat or anything like that you know we like to give that that uh, animal time to time to rest and uh and cure a little bit you know we'll usually uh age it for uh, a week and a half before we start cutting it up into steaks and then putting it in the freezer just because uh you know, it kind of starts going through that breakdown process and then it'll tenderize the meat and uh, just usually makes it better flavor all the way around. You know, as far as cooking big game, you know, you just got to make sure you uh, you leave it a little rare. You know, one of the one of the biggest issues you'll see, you hear about people and they're like, oh, I tried uh, elk steak and I hated it or an antelope steak and I hated it. Well, you just got to uh, take care of it for one. You take care of it. And then you you can't cook the heck out of it. Um, don't jerkify that steak. You got to leave a little little bit medium rare and a little blood in there, and it's usually pretty tender and pretty tasty. And with that, I'll send it back to Haley because uh, I think she got a couple guys that want to talk about cooking some fish. Thanks, Jared. And finally, we will hear from some of our master anglers, Willie Straza and Harry Woodward, to see how best prepare some of their favorite varieties of freshwater fish. Take it away, Willie. Thanks, Haley. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to uh, you and everyone who's listening. 2023 was a great year to be out on the water. We had a historic snowpack for the majority of the state, which meant healthy flows and cool water for the fish to enjoy throughout the summer. Uh, so it was a great time to get out there, and we had a long day, a lot of long days on the water and caught some great fish. Uh, since my background is guiding. I typically am releasing the fish that I catch because let's be honest, it's a whole lot easier to put your clients on fish the next day if you're not bringing all the keepers home back for dinner each night. But with that being said, uh, when I'm with my wife in the back country or hiking some of these high alpine lakes and streams, uh, there is one meal that I love to prepare and I think it's a perfect thing to enjoy sitting around the campfire, swapping stories with friends. And that's what I'd like to share with you. So it's a very simple meal. It's lightweight because as I mentioned, uh, it's typically I, I like to cut, catch these 
brook trout, a little smaller in size, but have a really nice flaky meat, much softer texture to them, um, and can be paired with wine and crackers and cheeses uh, super easily. So all you have to do is basically bring some garlic, some butter, some lemon, some salt, and some pepper, and some heavy-duty aluminum foil. And uh, you go out, spend your day on the water, catch your brook trout. I typically like to catch three or four of them uh, for the two of us. And you go ahead and field dress those brook trouts, uh, cut them open, gut them. I remove the heads, but you can keep them on if you'd like. And then dress them with the garlic butter, lemon, and salt and pepper. And I typically leave a uh, slice of lemon inside kind of the casing of, of each of the fish. And then you'll go ahead and seal uh, with the aluminum foil. You'll seal the fish within those. Um, not too tightly. You want to leave a little bit of room for air to circulate and it kind of steams the fish. And you just go ahead and toss those on the coals for 10 to 15 minutes, turn them over once. And uh, when you take those out and un- unravel the tin foil, you're going to be uh, enjoying nice, nice flaky fish that you can put on some crackers. And uh, as I mentioned, enjoy with some cocktails around the fire while you're swapping stories. So it's a great meal, would highly recommend, and you can't beat the scenery whenever you're preparing it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I got, and I think I'm passing it over to Harry for uh, for his recipe. Thanks for the intro there, Willie. The season's been productive for me so far. I've uh, been able to spend some time up in Montana, up in the Bighorn River, uh, doing some pheasant and duck hunting, as well as fly fishing a decent amount up there. So, um, you know, these shoulder seasons are sometimes my favorite times to get out fishing just because the rivers are under a lot less pressure and the fish kind of wake back up again after being beat up all summer been up at the bighorn a couple times and then uh fishing wise daniel and i've been able to spend some time fishing around meeker and gunnison near our listings that we're working on there um it's always fun to explore new water around our listings so uh up by the coach topa dome ranch we've enjoyed some days on uh, coach topa creek and swatch creek just fishing some small water there. Uh, we're usually just targeting trout, and uh, for the most part, I am a catch and release fisherman. But in the event that I'm, you know, camping or backpacking, that's when I will prepare trout in the field. So I like to keep it as simple as possible when I'm doing cooking trout. Um, what I'll usually do is just wrap it in tin foil, uh, filleted trout wrapped in tin foil with a healthy amount of salt, garlic powder and then some lemon, and you can usually just cook it over an open flame. If I'm uh, in the city, I usually would like to cook wild trout. I'll pan sear it with butter, garlic, and lemon, and then serve it over a, uh, a bed of wild rice. I love to eat trout, um, but I will say that more often than not, when I'm preparing it, I'm just buying it from the store. Um, I like to, to throw them back, and uh, more of a catch-and-release fisherman, but when it comes to wild game, I really do love cooking duck breast. What I'll do with my duck is uh, fillet the breasts and then uh, cut them in about quarter-inch strips. And then I'll soak them in a combination of um, Italian dressing and jalapeno juice. And then I'll uh, get them on a screaming hot grill and just give them a quick sear, like, you know, 45 seconds to a minute aside. And I'll serve them over a bed of white rice, and it's just a delicious way to to cook and eat a eat a duck breast.
All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, guys, and I will uh, kick it back to Haley. Awesome, Harry. I appreciate you going above and beyond and not just giving us a solid fish recipe, but also a fantastic duck recipe that gives Woody a run for his money. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. I'm officially hungry. And to close out, I'd like to thank all of our Murr Ranch Group brokers, Daniel Carter, Eric Anderson, Jared Souza, Willie Straza, Harry Woodward, and Woody Beardsley for joining us today. And to learn more about the ranch real estate market or our ranch marketing process, please be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website at murranchgroup.com or give us a call at 303-623-4545. Happy New Year. Stay hungry. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Haley Murr, and I made this episode with the help of Bill Boyce of Boyce Collective. Thank you to all the Murr Ranch Group brokers, Daniel Carter, Woody Beardsley, Eric Anderson, Jared Souza, Willie Straza, and Harry Woodward. Thanks, team. Please reach out to any one of these brokers for any ranch real estate questions you may have. Also, for more information on the ranch real estate market and other topics relating to ranch ownership, be sure to check out our website, murrranchgroup.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Land Bulletin Podcast. See you next time.